Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Irrational fear contains strong, coarse language and traces of nuts. FBI Radio recommends listening by an immature audience. North Korea backs out of the peace summit with the US, ending hopes of a Donald Trump Nobel Prize, prompting devastating scenes of worldwide mutually assured schadenfreude. And Mark Zuckerberg testifies in front of the European Parliament saying, I'm sorry, I'm smarter and richer than all of you will ever be. My team will get back to you as soon as I've acquired Germany. Put your dad in hospital and purge the rest of your embarrassing family because your prince in shining armour is here. This is Irrational Fear. Oh, oh, it's good to be back, isn't it? It is. Although I have not about to say, you should take off your ABC pass. I, feel like you're, I just noticed you're about that to, too. What's that about? If you're going to do any kind, if you do anything defamatory, our budget's been cut enough, Dan. Well, if you want to hear defamatory, it's coming up a little later on in the show. Uh, I know. I, I've read the script. <laughs> I'm like, mate, we've already lost $85 million in the last month. I don't need you in there as well. All right, all right. Luckily, this isn't an ABC production, though I did notice there was an FBI sting at the beginning <laughs> of the thing. We're no longer an FBI production either. We've got to really update our stings. <laughs> All right, this is the show that tells you what you should be scared of uh, in reality. I think the top three are climate change at number three, number two, burning to death in a nuclear holocaust, and number one, Channel 9's Love Island. That is... (laughs) And it is coming faster than you think, folks. With any luck, rising waters of climate change will drown Love Island. With any luck. (laughs) With any luck. I'm your host, Dan Illick, and before we meet our fear mongers tonight, it's important to note that we haven't had a live show since 2014. And back... I know. Wow, indeed. Yeah. Boo. <laughs> All right, Internet Research Authority. Come on. Uh, back then, Donald Trump was just an internet troll. Uh, Ebola was just gripping Africa. And Russia was accused of shooting down MH17. Oh. Uh, but, and, also, cro- and also, Lewis Hobber had a crooked jaw. Uh, and only one of those things has changed. Lewis Hobber's jaw is fixed. Look how handsome he is. Thanks, guys. Great support on my surgery. <laughs> You've just spent the week at uh, Mercedes Fashion Week. It, it, let me ask you, is black still in? Not black people. Um, <laughs> it's a very, very racist place. <laughs> Era, I fit in very well. I mean, not because I'm hot, just because I'm white. It is... They, they have not embraced diversity in fashion. At all? No. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. It's, like, shocking. Um, that's not, like, a bit. That's, that's just really white. As a t- but it's as really a- white. As a tall, skinny man, do you have, um, you know, Belson privilege? (laughs) (laughs) They look at me and they think, are you, like, an ugly cousin of one of us? Like, (laughs) you've got, like, the legs of a female model, but everything else is a real disgrace. 
Back in 2014, I hadn't even met our next guest, nor did I follow them on social media. But now because I've read their books, listened to all of their podcasts with their mum and directed them on TV, I know them more intimately than my own brothers. It's the only person on stage tonight good looking enough to land a deal to sell underwear. It's Rosie Waterland. Hello. What's up? Rosie, how does one score a deal to sell underwear? Listen, Daniel. I really liked their products and I didn't want to pay for them. <laughs> so I just kept plugging them and plugging them and plugging them until they contacted me and said, do you just want to take some photos and we'll give you free shit forever? <laughs> and I said yes. Oh, so fantastic. enter Rosie Waterland underwear model, hashtag Modibody, go buy their products. <laughs> but to be honest... Just FYI, you can cut this out of the podcast. The great thing is they're period soaking up underpants. Yeah, the women in the room know what I'm saying. Wow. They're amazing products. I think I, I remember Pat Rafter advertising those. Yeah. <laughs> he did. We're great friends. He gave me a lot of tips. Grant so, Hackett. Grant Hackett used them after. Product I actually believe in, but also they pay me lots of money. All right. Thank yeah. you. Give it up for period soaking underwear. <laughs> And back in 2014, this guest had questionable citizen status. So he was on the run from the authorities. He has since stayed in this country, married our people, and created another Australian, all in a bid to take our comedy jobs. He is the senior writer of Tonightly with Tom Ballard, Jazz Twemlow. Woo! Now, as a person who's spent tens of thousands of dollars trying to stay in this country, yep. I've only got one question. Why? Uh... I just I think marrying an Australian and, and generating one was the only way to assure um, like escape from Brexit. Basically, that's, that's why. <laughs> it's a shit show over there. I don't know if you noticed, but it's a, it's a real shit show. So I'm, I'm happy to be here. Maybe we should send some period-soaking underwear their way. Yeah. Yep. I'm sure it would soak that up too. Hey, Use the microphone. Use the microphone. I'll hawk this product till the cows come home. All right, here is the menu for tonight, folks. For entrees, Lewis Hobber will be Netflix and chilling with the Obamas and wondering why the hell ex-politicians just can't disappear. Uh, if you were going to retire from politics, Lewis, what would you do? Oh, jeez. Uh, God, I think if I was... Um Looking for a career of just like totally outside of the spotlight, like nobody finding me, I would get a job on broadcast television. <laughs> thank Sorry, you, Jazz. thank you, thank you. No, no, no. How's tonightly going? It's great. We rate in the high numbers. Uh, main course, Jazz Twemlo will get stuck in the left-right political divide. Jazz, where are you on the left-right spectrum, did you, would you say? Uh, I'm a, I'm a fundamental fundamental radical uh, centrist extremist. Right. Uh, there's no one more more in the centre than me. Yeah. <laughs> Can't be more in the centre than me. And that. for dessert, Rosie Waterland will do what she does best. We're going to be treated to a live recap of the Royal Wedding. Yeah, man. <laughs> Only watch the bad lip-reading version, but I'll do my best. It's good enough. It's good. And do as an aperitif tonight, we will crack open a bottle of port and sit down with academic and banking expert Kath Brown and break down the seven stages of grief we as a nation are going through with the Banking Royal Commission. But first, uh, let's kick off the show tonight with a new segment called It's a Privilege. Uh, I, I think, yeah, give it a woo. <laughs> but I reckon it should be like game show style. Um, I want you guys, I'm going to point to you guys. Can you say, it's a privilege? All right. Fantastic. Oh, Dylan, fantastic. That's right. This week in WA... Oh, uh, this week, sorry. WA MP and Tony Abbott wannabe Andrew Hastie used parliamentary privilege to out Dr Chuchak Wing, an Australian-Chinese real estate mogul, and co as a co-conspirator to bribe the former president of the UN General Assembly to the tune of $200,000 to sway the decision to build a UN conference centre on his land in Macau. Now, uh, the real estate mogul donates to, all, to both Labor and Liberal parties, giving them about $4 million each. He's also a bit of a philanthropist, donating $25 million to UTS. Uh, and in fact, they named a building out after him, the Dr. Chu Chak Wing Building, which appropriately for someone who's used to making big bribes, kind of looks like a big brown paper bag, uh, which is terrific. Um, it, look, to be honest, the only scandal I can see here is uh, that they actually didn't name the building the Dr. Chow Chak Wing Wing. That was, uh, uh, that was my only... It was a real Margaret Court Arena situation. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. So, like, we know she plays tennis and her last name's Court. I just don't know what we can call this building. <laughs> Any ideas? Any ideas at all? 
Now, the good doctor is also known to be quite the litigious fellow. He loves to get into lawsuits. Um, uh, so for Hasty, using parliamentary privilege is a great way to say anything you want without the consequences of legal recourse in Australian courts. So now to the game. It's a privilege! <laughs> now, uh, here uh, in this bucket, a.k.a. the stage, I asked the audience earlier to write the name down of any celebrity they could think of. Uh, and now I'm going to ask my three fearmongers to defame them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but what we're going to do is uh, we're going to bleep the name... Of the person on the pod when it goes to the podcast, so you no one will know. You know who's being defamed, and this is in purely in the context of satire and parody. Oh, is that, Unless does that count? we know things, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Now I want to make the only rule here is you can't be like Bauer Media and going around telling everyone the actual age of Rebel Wilson because <laughs> that that could result in a lawsuit. Okay. Don't ever do that. So who's ready to play? It's a All right, Lewis Hover, step up to the stage. <laughs> a government <laughs> employee. <laughs> oh, Who God. have you got? This feels very bad. <laughs> I mean, I honest, fuck. <laughs> is there anything I can say about her that she hasn't said about herself? I don't know. There is so much. <laughs> Please, can you defame... No, I don't like. I don't know. <laughs> Rosie Waterland. I know I'm the most mainstream person in the building, so I really needed to take this one. Okay, get this, you guys. I know that nobody in here reads Daily Mail, but I do every day. And so I know that she just had a baby, but she's only 20. But like, no shame. My sister had a baby when she was 17, and my mum had me when she was 19, so I totally understand. But the baby was born, and I swear to God, look up the photos, it looks exactly like her bodyguard and not like her rapper boyfriend. <laughs> oh! Daily Mail has so many headlines about this, I can't even count them. So, just I actually saying. have looked at a photo of that body. Yes, right? He is so hot. He's so handsome. <laughs> he is so, hot. so handsome. And he has that distinct look oh. where you just... If the like, baby looks like him, it can't not be him. I a little bit looked at him and went, put a baby inside yeah, me. Right? Put a baby inside me right now. So did she, my friend. That's something you have in common with... Didn't she also um, date a rapper when she was underage? Yeah, she dated this guy. She when dated a pedophile. He, yeah, he was like 25 and she was like 16. And Chris Jenner was like, it's getting headlines, I'll take my 10%. So her mum approved but then she moved on to this other guy with like <laughs> tattoos in different places on his face and she got pregnant to him is it travis I, scott yes that guy i'm that I'm guy this now and she lewis got, you could have done this yeah, like, as if <laughs> i feel like i'm chatting with one of my girlfriends at brunch i know rappers that's all i know so anyway she got pregnant to him but then the baby popped out and it was like did she <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that's Rosie yeah, Waterland that's playing. <laughs> All right, next up on It's a Privilege is Jazz Twemlow. Jazz, pick a name out of the bucket oh, and read it out nice and loud. And if you, can't, if you can't do it, I think so, we know someone who can. <laughs> uh. <laughs> get him, get him, Jazz. <laughs> Tear there's, him down there's someone a that notch. Needs tearing down. Uh, I've, I don't know if you know this, but I, I, I've heard uh, that is, um, is actually a very strong man of the faith. Um, <laughs> he, he believes in God. Um, he has a tattoo of Jesus uh, on, his, uh, on his scrotum. Really. And if you've uh, noticed that... Um, and he, he's just trying to make us all believe in this sort of atheist science shit so there's more space in heaven for him. So that's, that's <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Jess Twemlow! I believe it. Now, do you want another go, Lewis? Oh, fuck, yes. But, <laughs> or should we, go, should we just get Rosie up? I, I secretly didn't realise um, how much I knew about... You knew so much about that bitch. <laughs> you um, take another Let's tag team. Hang on, let's hear again from the theme song. It's <laughs> This is so much fun. <laughs> Oh, fuck. <laughs> Kim Jong-il. 
he's, then, d- he's actually dead, so, so he can't defame him. He can't yeah. be defamed. I'm here. He was not a nice man. <laughs> <laughs> wrecked. I fucking wrecked you, Kim. Ah. You can't defame <laughs> She's the world's princess. <laughs> Everyone loves a d***, don't they? I mean, not her music, it's trash, but she's nice. <laughs> <laughs> ah, fuck. Um, uh, uh, I'm, I'm a nice boy, you know? <laughs> I, don't, um, I don't have anything mean to say about it. Um, I mean, she's very boring. Not as a person, again, musically. I don't... I like... I don't like this game. <laughs> You're on your own. Lewis Helber, thank you for playing. Sorry. And that's It's a Privilege! <laughs> Who do we think won It's a Privilege? Did Lewis win It's a Privilege? Did Jazz win It's a Privilege? Did Rosie Waterlin win It's a Privilege? More annoying than five by-elections called on your birthday. You're listening to Irrational Fear. All right, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome up to the, your, the stage for your entree. It's Lewis Hobber. Hello. Hello. <laughs> oh, this is fun. The life of a politician is like a mosquito flying around your room at night. To the mosquito, its short life flies by in an instant. But to you, it goes on forever. An eternity of low-frequency whining interspersed with the literal sucking of blood from your body. But while it's legal and even encouraged to splatter the tiny brains of a mosquito against your wall, to do the same with a politician would be, and I've looked into this, an assassination. (laughs) And apparently that is quite frowned upon. So, if we can't kill politicians, what happens to them when they decide they want to hang up their boots and get a real job? Usually, there are three options for an ex-poly. One, write a political memoir that no one will read except for the one person they basically subtweet through the entire thing. (laughs) Two, take a highly paid job at the bank they spent their entire career stopping inquiries into. Or three... (laughs) Ooh, got him. Um, or big, three. big, big banking fans yeah. in the room tonight. Yeah. <laughs> we got big bank in the room. All <laughs> uh, three become a talking head on a political TV show. Tons of pollies end up in TV. Politicians love TV. Your average politician is more desperate for airtime than a Bondi personal trainer at an audition for The Bachelor. <laughs> Usually they're just guests, you know, like Sam Dastiari desperately tossing out the last pieces of gossip he's privy to, like chum to frenzied sharks before slipping into the deep sea of obscurity. Or like Amanda Vanstone, who now does every panel in a Hawaiian shirt in an effort to put a tropical spin on her decades of evil, presiding over cuts to almost every sector of vulnerable people in our community. She kind of looks like a political version of Bernie from Weekend at Bernie's. It's like, aloha, Amanda. What's she doing over there in her peppy shirt? Oh, she's defending Cardinal Pell again. I wish she was more like Bernie and actually dead. Even Peter Credlin has her own TV show, but it's on Sky News, which has such a tiny audience that it's not, every, not even a real TV channel anymore. It's just Peter Credlin in an empty field yelling her personal news at the actual sky. <laughs> but as usual with politics, anything we can do, Americans can do weirder. And now, Barack Obama, ex-president of the United States and leader of the free world, has signed a deal with Netflix. Hooray. Barack Obama can now say he is finally on par with Adam Sandler. (laughs) I haven't seen the new series of 13 Reasons Why, but I assume each episode is a new reason why Barack Obama at writing scripted television for Netflix is fucking weird. (laughs) Stranger things literally have not happened. This is... This is as weird as it gets. What is Barack thinking? Like, I know Netflix is where a lot of things go when no one wants them, but he's a president. He's not Arrested Development. It's bad now. Sure, and so was the first campaign of Barack Obama. And, and then it got bad. 
We need a bell for all the puns, like, like the bugle. That's what we're going to do. No one exactly knows what Obama's going to do for Netflix yet. Obviously, the easiest thing to do would be to just insert Barack into shows that are already successful on the platform. I mean, House of Cards makes the most sense. He could play the president again. Although these days, most people do prefer both their real and fake presidents to be accused of quite a bit of sexual assault. I mean, they, the, they the crowd, the, I looked at the stats before the show, the crowd's largely Russian. Uh, <laughs> uh, Barack could be easily inserted into Orange is the New Black. I mean, sure, it is a women's prison, but he's black. I'm sure America could find a way to lock him up. <laughs> a lot of people are genuinely angry um, at Netflix for signing Obama, and not just mid-level comedians desperate for their own special. Republican voters are genuinely furious over Netflix's Obama deal. They prefer their pet presidents to start their career making embarrassing TV shows rather than waiting until after they retire. <laughs> Republican voters have actually started a boycott Netflix hashtag and some people have already cancelled their uh, subscription. But to be honest, let's be honest, Republicans were already pretty close to cancelling their Netflix when they brought back Queer Eye. <laughs> I mean, no Carson? Are you crazy? <laughs> Carson was the backbone of the franchise and even homophobes know it. <laughs> Some angry conservatives even threaten to cancel Netflix and go to Hulu. <laughs> you hear that laughter, Hulu? That's what we think of you. <laughs> You're nothing. No, honestly, one of the biggest shows on Hulu is actually Will and Grace, so enjoy your boycott from the liberal lifestyle. <laughs> the Obama signing to Netflix really shook me, um, and not just because I'm dubious about his inevitable semi-autobiographical reboot of Full House called Full White House, but with an entirely black cast. <laughs> I'm also nervous because I think this could give Australian politicians an idea. Like, I will bet the farm that since Obama's Netflix deal, dozens of ex-Australian politicians have reached into the third drawer and pulled out that manuscript they wrote decades ago about a young, idealistic, political wunderkind and the sexy adventures they have in the high-pressure world of Canberra. John Howard has definitely called Netflix to pitch a 68-hour true crime series investigating who killed Don Bradman. It's called Pneumonia. Do you want to do the punchline? Sorry, I can't see who that is. I'll set one up and you knock one down. How does that sound? No, let's not. Is this Lewis Hopper's Me Too moment? <laughs> Sister. Me too. We can all do hashtags. <clears throat> okay. Uh, well, you've really fucked this, and this is my favourite joke. And once I get to the end, you're going to regret that you've done it too, because you'll have seen the potential that it had. We'll have to pick it up from halfway, and you're all going to have to go with me on this. Let's pretend this whole nonsense didn't happen. Just like me too, for years. Okay, sorry, stop, put it back. Come on. It wasn't me that covered it up. Jesus, I'm not Miramax. Back off. Now I'm defaming people, aren't I? I'm good at it now, Adele. All right. Stick with me. This is going to be a really good joke. All right. In this world, we're in a world where Australian politicians are pitching Netflix shows. Are we back, are we back together? Are we all with this? Okay. And... After seeing Wild Wild Country, everyone from the Labor Party must be desperately writing their treatment about Mark Latham, just called Wild Wild. Thank you guys. Yeah. Thanks for the support. Back here, over there, who knows? <laughs> I'm kidding. Thank you for coming. You might think Obama joining Netflix is a great idea. After all, what else should politicians do when they retire? Personally, I believe they should be put into a stud, like old racehorses, to fuck and breed tiny versions of themselves that we can race for entertainment, or until they hurt their leg and need to be shot behind a sheep. But the only person who answers my frequent and passionate emails about the giant politician farm fuckfest is Barnaby Joyce, and 
I don't think we need any more little bundles of Joyce. <clears throat> Another... But until any of my genius schemes are listened to, politicians will keep leaving politics and going into TV. They can't stop themselves. And who knows, maybe Obama will be great in the new Netflix spin-off series, Barack Horseman. <laughs> Ding! As, that was the Ding! last one. Ding! With plenty of Obama content to be binged and streamed in the years to come. At least you already know what to say next time your liberal fuck buddy asks if you guys can Netflix and chill. Yes, we can. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Lewis Hopper! So, guys, um, uh, which politicians in Australia do you think um, should uh, deserve their own, uh, their own Netflix special? Rosie? Oh. Use the microphone. Sorry. Um, sorry, yeah, we're doing a thing. Um, okay, which politicians? Look, when we recorded that uh, series we did in Canberra that time... Rosie and I made a show for iView called What's Happening in Canberra. Yeah. Where we went um, through Parliament and met all the politicians. Thanks for explaining it, other than when we did that thing in Canberra one time. <laughs> um, and we met Michaelia Cash... Lucky. And um, it was very quick. You chased her down a hallway and we, like, ran up after her and it was like, Rosie, we've got to be funny. And you turned the camera on and I had to put her microphone on her while you were getting the camera ready. And we're grubs. And I put the microphone on her and she was wearing this pristine white suit and we were very close to each other. And my thumb just rubbed this black mark all the way down, like her, what's it called, lapel or whatever. And I looked at it, and she looked at it, and then she looked at me like, this is a podcast, but you guys get to see it. This is what she did. <laughs> she gave me the most evil, chilling look, but then, I swear to God, in less than five seconds, her face clicked back, and she was on again, and she was like, I'm going to do this interview with this idiot and that, this short guy who's following her around. And um, it scared me to death. And I swear to God, I want to see her on television more often. <laughs> Michaelia Cash. Well, there you go. There's Michael a serial killer in there. Yeah. I saw something dark behind those eyes, let me tell you. I, lo I love that. I love that you could win cash on Michaelia Cash's show. Yeah. And to win it, you'd, you'd have to walk through some whiteboards yeah. uh, to get it. Uh, yeah, at the end when they're like, do you want to take the prize or do you want to take the cash? Everyone's like, the prize. The, the prize. prize. <laughs> Definitely the prize. I don't prize. want this in my house. <laughs> She's very scary. Welcome back to McKellia Cash. <laughs> AFP raids, what do you know? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Uh, ja uh, Jazz, who would you like to see? What, what Australian politician would you like to see with their own show? Um, Peter Dutton. He could... Uh, <gasps> Because he could go on that show, what is it? Like board Water security? Border security, yeah. He'd love it. He'd love it. You'd just get to like, kick their faces back into the ocean. Uh, <laughs> love it. I don't know. Uh, it'd be awful, actually. It'd be really, really bad and depressing. I, re I retract that answer. But, um, <laughs> is it me? Is, it, is Netflix like the new podcast? Everyone's getting a show those days. Yeah, podcasts are trash. Yeah. <laughs> Move on. We're on one. It was a joke about us. Everyone's so... What's with the ooh? Yes, you hear Yanni, I hear the housing bubble is bursting. This is Irrational Fear. Irrational Fear. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage, Jazz Twemlo. It's a bit of a funny one, yeah, that one. Yeah. It was, took me ages to get that back an, in, frankly. an intricate knot. Um, all right. Uh, good evening. You all right? Yeah. Excellent. Oh, it's all going to go wrong. Um, it starts, I think it starts funny and then it, by the end, uh, it's, you're all going to hate me. But anyway, it doesn't matter. It's fine. It's fine. Um, so what's, uh, what's wrong with the right and left? Now, uh, normally unpacking this sort of stuff, uh, it takes about four hours and a lot of, and a lot of beer. Um, I'm going to try and condense that into four minutes um, sober, um, which will, of course, be a tremendous success. And... Uh, <laughs> in no way leave my character tarnished for all eternity. So let's, um, let's see how it goes. So it appears to me that these days, if you look online, uh, your choice of political affiliation um, is between either sort of right-wing bigot nut jobs or um, soy boy left-eyed cuckflakes, um, which I mean, neither sounds appealing. You know, they both, 
They both sort of sound like failed brands of cereal. Um, which, interestingly, if you mix them together, you get a nice bowl of uh, we're all fucked. So that's uh, C exhibits A, uh, Brexit and Trump. Uh, now... It's, it's just, it, there's, a, there's not much nuance. They're both sides of the political spectrum just sort of seem to scream at each other uh, online with zero room for middle ground or complexity. Like in Brexit, you were either a massive racist um, or you were some sort of inner city slab of goat's cheese carved into the shape of a human. Um, <laughs> which it all, it all makes kind of contemporary politics seem about as you know, sophisticated and nuanced um, as a tattoo of a penis... Uh, on a penis. So it's, um... Now, I, I don't want to spend too much time shitting on the alt-right, um, and I don't have to, because uh, it's really easy. <laughs> um, if, you dare, if you dare voyage into one of their boards on you know, 4 or 8chan, um, or if you just see them uh, as Nazis marching down the street, you know, in public, <laughs> um, you'll quickly realise that one of uh, many of the things they want uh, is, in the US, uh, a white ethno-state... Which is, uh... <laughs> and if they get that, subsequently, uh, they want the creation of a pan-national white empire, which is... Oh, what well, a... it's called the Northern Beaches here. Yeah. We're going to... <laughs> it's, it's cute. It's their... They really are a bunch of stupid fucks. So... But it's, it's, a, it's not... An, I don't think it's an achievable goal. I don't think that's, that's not going to... You can't... You're not going to casually turn Earth into, like, the third clan from the sun uh, without anyone kicking up a fuss. I mean, there was nearly a world war when everyone found out their iPhones came with a mandatory U2 album. So I think... <laughs> you're not going to win. You're not going to win. I think it was just standby. Oh, Nazis, great. Um, so instead of focusing on them, the cartoon villains, uh, I'm going to focus on the left, um, <laughs> the most annoying fucking people... Uh, on the planet. Um, bearing in mind, I was just talking about literal Nazis. Um, so you see, this, this is where my political leanings get a bit murky. So someone asked me the other day, like, you know, given some of the recent things I've been saying online, whether I'm right or left, and I'll, I'll clear that up. So I'm, I'm, I'm very left-wing, and, and one day what I want to see is left-wing values uh, win out um, across the globe. Um, it's just that on that day... Um, I don't want any actual left-wing people to be alive to see it happen. Um, okay. Love the ideas. Want to round up the people and have them all shot. So sort of, sort of fascist, anti-left, left. That's where I stand. Um, Would you consider yourself a left-winger? Oh, yep. Um, I don't fit into a box, Dan. Um, so this, this bit will be, it's, it's going to get uncomfortable, but, you know, I just, I love the left, so just, you know, think of me as, as the friends, you know, pointing out, you know, the spinach in your teeth. Um, only in this case, the spinach happens to be the fact that you accidentally presided over the end times. So let's just, uh, let's move on. Um, so first of all, and this is, you... You shouldn't try to control... Uh, we can't control what people can and cannot say. So to try and sort of engineer circumstances that you go sort of from birth to death, uh, never being offended by anything, um, that, that will always backfire. Um, I know it sucks and people say horrible things, but it will backfire. In, in the 80s, they, um, they, had, they introduced the parental advisory label uh, that's put on albums because there was a group in um, Washington called... Uh, the Washington Wives, I think they were called all the Wives of Washington, who wanted to kind of curb the influence of offensive or um, sort of crass lyrics um, in music. Um, so they, int they introduced that label as a way of hoping, you know, decrease the sales of, of that kind of stuff. Um, and it had the complete reverse effect. What happened was that Black Sabbath had to tell one of the biggest-selling albums of the 80s. And, and, but even worse than that, there were albums that... There were bands, sorry, that... Um, that weren't offensive and they weren't famous, um, but what they did was they deliberately started uh, writing offensive lyrics so that they would get the parental advisory label so that they would end up in the special section in the shop 
And then kids would see it and go, oh, get, and get their older mates. Like, oh, please buy that for me because I'm not allowed to listen to it. So please go and get that one for me. So what, what ended up happening was that by making something unsayable, uh, it immediately becomes kind of rock and roll and punk and cool. Um, and that's what really annoys me is that we've somehow made the alt-right seem like punks. Like they've seized the punk aesthetic thanks to our kind of rather po-faced sort of authoritarian approach to language, and that annoys me because they're not punk. Okay, they're, they're, they don't want to smash the establishment. They are the establishment. They're white men. Um, they're about as punk as everyone in One Direction getting matching tattoos of Prince Philip. Okay, they're not, <laughs> not punk. But we've made them seem... So fuck you for that, is what I'm saying. Um, and the other problem with like, the, the, this sort of focus on offence is that the left seems to relish pointing it out and sort of swarming towards it. And that can be a very big and easy distraction uh, when you've got a tool like the internet, which is effectively um, infinite. You know, there's like, um, I think there's 300 hours of footage uploaded to YouTube um, every minute. Um, so you'll never watch everything and read everything and see everything there is online. So like relative to our lifespan, the internet is infinite. So within that, Every day there's always going to be a company that's published something stupid or a coffee house that's fired someone for unjust reasons or a celebrity that's tweeted something questionable or someone will have recorded something awful that's happened on the street um, on their phone. And it feels good uh, to point the finger, but it doesn't necessarily address larger sort of systemic issues. So I'll give one example. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, remember this, but there was the case of um, H&M had that catalogue um, and in it, uh, there was a photograph in their catalogue of a boy, uh, he's a black boy, uh, wearing a hoodie that said, coolest monkey in the jungle. Um, and it, it, was, it was a sloppy, stupid mistake. You know, it was a very dumb... But the, as far as the internet was concerned, this is proof that H&M was some sort of massive racist... Which, think, uh, someone from the KKK didn't get a job at lower management in, in HMM and work their way up into the top of the marketing department so they could finally release this one picture. Like, yeah, fucking white supremacy. It was a fucking stupid mistake. But I, I, I thought this was an interesting experiment, so I went into the Twitter accounts of some of the people who were tweeting that this, this is fucking racist, awful. Um, and I scrolled through this stuff. I think I chose about 20 or 30 accounts. I scrolled down, I scrolled down. Lots of stuff about this hoodie... Scroll down, scroll down, scroll down through weeks, months of their stuff. Nothing about, you know, disproportionate rates of indigenous incarceration. They don't give a fuck. They're just offence tourists, okay? It's not... Unless, unless you're willing to engage larger systemic issues, you're not tackling fucking problem. Um, so finally, and finally, this offence thing... It, it leads to the kind of destruction of nuance in debate. So, like, when, you know, during Brexit, during Trump... Um, you know, if you were voting Brexit, if you were voting Trump, you were racist, or if you were voting Trump, you were racist and sexist. But if you tried to sort of escape that and sort of go, well, yeah, but why are people voting for him? Maybe it's worthwhile kind of not sympathising, but maybe sort of empathising with them to figure out what makes them tick, so maybe we can persuade them to our side. So, oh, well, you're a racist sympathiser, and the debate shuts down, and immediately everything, it's, it's fucked. Um, so you couldn't do that, and, and we lost. Um, so to end, I'll just say that, you know, what, what we need to do is persuade um, and engage. Um, what we need to do is, what we need to do is get into power so that then we can address the problems raised by identity politics, but you shouldn't use identity politics as a way of getting into power. That's the wrong way of doing things. It's like playing chess and your first, you know, one of your moves being to point out that separating the pieces into white and black is racially problematic, okay? You're not going to win. You're not going to win, okay? So win the game, point that out afterwards. And that's my time. Thanks very much. Thank you, Jazz. <coughs> it's a very... You should just, you can put it on the ground now. It's a very, it's a very problematic uh, thing we've got going on there. Hey, uh, Lewis, do you have friends who differ greatly in political persuasion? Well, I, I mean, it's a tough one, because on one hand, I work at the ABC, so no. But on the other hand, um, I grew up in country Victoria, so yes. <laughs> Very much so. Uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely... I went to, like, a country school with a lot of um, kids who from all sorts of parts of the political spectrum. Uh, 
it, yes, I suppose is the answer to the question. I don't, yeah, I don't find it that, I don't think it's that weird. What about you, Rosie? I have a good one. Yeah? You guys, I'm kind of Twitter friends with Caleb Bond. No yeah. way! No, here's Ugh. how it started. Here we, okay. Ugh. Caleb Bond, uh... Teenage conservative. Twenty? Is he twenty now? I don't know. And he's looking. It's like he he's started off very speckly yeah. and like a, a very post-pubescent, but now he's it, extremely hot. He's, it's sort of like in the, to do a terrible Mike Myers reference when there was like Vern Troyer and Doctor Evil. There's like um, Christopher Pine and then Kayla Bond. Oh, yeah. That's... Okay, this is why I messaged him. I initiated this friendship, not intentionally. He. I am completely opposed to this person politically, mm. completely. But I have been, having worked at Mamma Mia in my past, on the receiving end of a lot of online trolling and hate. And I noticed that he was getting targeted online by people I respect, comedians I respect um, in Australia, saying things like, um, oh, nice column, you know, um, how'd you find time to write that in between applying your pimple cream? You know what I mean? Like, things like that. And he was getting particularly trolled one day for being, you know, a, a dweeby little kid and whatever. And I just sent him a message and I said, you and I do not agree, but I've noticed the flack you've been getting today and I've been on the receiving end of that before and I can't imagine how difficult that would be for you and you're really young and I think, although I don't agree with what you write, you're a good writer um, and I just, you know, I hope you're okay with what you've been um, getting today. And he wrote back and was lovely and, and then I wrote back and was lovely and we completely understand that we are just diametrically opposed but when I've had like recently I was in hospital for depression and he was one of the only people online who messaged me and said hey Rosie how you doing hope you're okay and so I don't know I've never met him in person although he did try to set up a lunch date when my stand-up show was in Adelaide and I wanted to do it so bad but I couldn't but um you know, I think that it's that kind of sense of, at the end of the day, if you get up close to people, really close to people, you can't deny that they're a human being, and he is, and he's, he's, he's said some nice things to me. Me and Caleb, we're buds. Oh, Although so a few great. weeks after I sent him that message, I got an email from uh, Andrew Bolt saying he'd read my book and he really admired me. So I, I feel like there's some connection there that I'm not quite comfortable Ladies with. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Liberal <laughs> Senator for South Australia, Rosalie Waterland. Hey, look. Yeah, there you go. That's, that's my one incredibly opposing political I, friend. I've wor I made a, a pilot for Channel 10 um, with and Andrew Bolt, and I really enjoyed working with him. I find him an extremely charming, funny guy. He does believe in what he says, which is a problem. But mm. uh, he was really—he was a really lovely guy and really, really funny. And I enjoyed working for him with him on, on that show. And then I, I met Miranda Devine one day backstage at Carrie Ann Kennelly because uh, I do Carrie. What Ann is sometimes. your life? Um, <laughs> and I, I got to know her a little bit. And I said, "Oh, you're, you're really great. You should come on Can of Worms, the show Lewis and I worked on on Channel Ten." And um, and she was like. Oh, no, no, then they'll... I said, she appeared to not believe anything she wrote about. And she's like, oh, I just write it. Is that what I, it appeared I, like? I inherited, I inherited the audience from my dad and I've got to, got to feed them what they want and, and I don't want to go on Can of Worms because then people find me out. <laughs> that kind of makes you hate them more, though, because you're like, why would you, why would you, you do just, that? Yeah, you've got to really admire Andrew Bolt for really believing what he writes. <laughs> There you go. Me and Caleb. I was going to say, did you just defame Miranda? <laughs> <laughs> no, Watch out. She's lovely. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, Google, don't tell Alexa I murdered a man. This is Irrational Fear. Yeah. Irrational Fear. Uh, Rosie. Yeah, okay, look. look, I didn't do my homework, all right? Like, I, I feel like after that incredibly beautiful four minutes about nuanced debate and sensible discourse in the face of hyperbole, I'm now going to talk about Daily Mail and the Royal <laughs> Wedding. <laughs> I'm kind of embarrassed. Give the people what they want. <laughs> Who I'm wants not... to fuck their bodyguard? Who's with me? Anyone? All right. I'm not going to stand up because, like, to be honest, look at the size of me. I don't want to stand up that long. So I'm going to sit here with my microphone. And my rational fear... See, I stuck to the title. Thank you. It's like when you're watching a movie and you hear the title. Uh -huh. Like when they say, 
that comet really is going to leave a deep impact. That's what I just did. They so truly were my, a few good men. My rational fear is getting milkshake ducked by my family, which is what just happened to Meghan Markle in the lead up to the royal wedding. I think we need to explain what milkshake duct is for some people in okay. the audience. So milkshake duck is a phenomenon um, that came about, I think, two years ago, 2015. Um, and basically what it is, is when you all fall in love with a new person online, so, like, that really cute kid who cried into the camera about being bullied and all these, like, football stars in America were like, oh, you're the best and here's some money and I'll go with you to some event and you're amazing. But then two weeks later it came out that his family was super racist and, like, they were members of, like the NRA's right, 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 right wing faction that loves Hitler. And so the term invented for that is milkshake duck because it's when you love someone but then two minutes later you find out something horrible about them. Mm. My worst nightmare is being milkshake ducked by my family because I think everybody understands my family's fucking nuts but everybody's family's a bit nuts. And if you get a little bit famous and your family comes out to get you, you're screwed. And so this is why I was obsessed with the royal wedding, even though I never watched it, except the bad lip-reading version, obviously, <laughs> because in the lead-up to it, I was so obsessed with the drama around Meghan Markle's family, even though I know most of it probably wasn't true. So she has this crazy sister yeah. in America who's writing a book called The Diary of Princess Pushy's Sister. And so every second day... I know, Sounds like a kid's book. I read the Daily Mail, so you don't have to. <laughs> and so every second day, she came out with a story about how Meghan Markle had, had a crush on Harry since she was 10 years old and she's had his poster on her wall and her entire career from her stint as a briefcase girl on Deal or No Deal right up until now has been about getting Harry, <laughs> right? And then, so her sister was saying all this crazy stuff every day and I was like, oh, that's so trashy. Who would click on that? Click. click. And then her dad was, let's be honest, next level nuts. So mm. one second he wasn't going to go to the wedding and then he was and then he wasn't and then he was and I was literally emailing my boyfriend at five in the morning going, it's back on, <laughs> he's on his way, the plane is booked. And then I feel like I have the inside scoop here that not a lot of people have. <laughs> but um, if you go on TMZ... <laughs> You will see that he insisted that he couldn't go to the royal wedding in the end, not because he staged paparazzi photos of him looking at photos of Meghan and Harry, but because he had a heart attack and he was having serious health problems, so he needed to stay home in America. The problem was, when he insisted that he was in hospital with the heart attack, TMZ was tailing him 24 hours a day, and they knew that the only thing he had done for the last two days was go to the McDonald's drive through mm -hmm. I know. Obviously, it's true. It's on the Daily Mail. <laughs> and then, after the royal wedding, which he didn't go to, so Meghan had to walk herself down the aisle, and then Charles met her at the end, which I kind of wished... I really wanted her mum to My walk her down Because yeah. I wanted, like, a sick, powerful black woman with a nose ring and, and like dreads yeah. to like walk this woman into the royal family and be like colonize this bitches but she <laughs> she didn't i was so devo they put her in a sensible lime green suit and quietly pushed her to the corner do we have any daily male journalists in the room tonight <laughs> um and and so then apparently while he was meant to be in hospital getting this heart attack treatment during the wedding he actually wasn't he was hiding in an airbnb in mexico <laughs> like i've got all the deets but here's what i know if you ever get famous your family will try to fucking milkshake duck you. They will come out of the woodwork and fuck you up. I wrote a memoir in 2015 about my troubled childhood, which you've read. I've read it. My mum, when she briefly got sober, read it and said it was all lies. And she wanted to tell everyone that it was all lies and I made it all up. And I contained that problem by telling her, how about I pay you to do a podcast with me where you talk about your side of the story and how it's all lies. And she said, yes, I'll do that. And then as soon as she left the recording studio every day, I was in charge of editing <laughs> the podcast. <laughs> I'm not getting milkshake ducked, my friends. But Megan did. And the thing that I love... Oh. I think Rosie Waterlin has a career in crisis <laughs> communications coming up. Okay, so the last story I read about the royal wedding was um, on the Daily Mail, and it was, um, royal wedding argument ends in coma. 
And I was like, no, it didn't click. And it was just two people in a fight at the pub. But now that Megan's been walked down the aisle and uh, Daily Mail got really mad at her because she wore pantyhose to an event the day after the wedding and everyone was like, we thought you were going to be our hip black ghetto princess and instead you're following the rules and wearing pantyhose. So they're really annoyed that she's following the uh, royal party line. So they've moved on now to Princess Charlotte. You know the toddler? The three-year-old. Oh, no. Okay, and here's uh, a story that I read yesterday. Um, it's definitely on the cards that Princess, no, Prince George, when the time comes, should abdicate and let Princess Charlotte take over because judging by the way she waved to the crowds at the wedding, she will be a more powerful ruler. <laughs> so you got it here first, folks. Abdication on the cards, what, 30 years from now? All right. I'm booking my tickets to Winter Castle. And I got to tell you, the uh, source where I get all my news from uh, definitely keeps me in the know. <laughs> Uh, if you need any more information, come my direction. Rosie Waterland, everyone. Thank you so much. Uh, Jazz, as a uh, as a person from the UK, I speak for all of us. Uh, <laughs> what's your impressions of the royal wedding? Um, it was really weird for me because I did you watch it? I I record I watched snippets of it afterwards. Yeah, mm. but it was it was quite a weird sensation for me because I, I, I haven't really kept in touch. With any of that, and so when I was watching, I thought, I thought like personally, they you, you haven't called, yeah, they haven't called you. I thought you were going to say any of them, and I was yeah. like, what? I know. I write for the Daily Mail. I know everything. Um, and I was just watching it, and I, I hadn't sort of connected with that side of England for so long. I just watched it, and the first thought that went through my head was like, oh, the sad kid from the funeral is getting married. Um, so that was that was the first that's the first thing that went through my head. That's been how long. I was always grown up. He's he's a he's turned to a, a man thing now. So it was just really weird. It was really it's, discombobulating for me. That hit UK film, two weddings and a funeral. Oh. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Crying for attention like a TV no one has turned on anymore. This is irrational fear. Irrational fear. Well, uh, it hasn't been a good week, a good month, a good year if you're a banker. Season three of the Royal Commission is streaming on all major networks right now, and it's the best season yet of Royal Commission. Sure, the RC into abuse in churches was tough to watch. The RC into trade unions was pretty boring, but the schadenfreude in the banking Royal Commission is just delightful. There's backstabbing, there's frontstabbing, there's a comedy of errors, there's people stealing from school children, there's unbridled scenes of necrophilia, the banks are literally fucking dead people. And there's more to come. Next week on the Royal Commission, it's the banks versus the farmers, and I am sure as hell not going to miss that. To try and help us work out what's up and down, what's left and right, and the answers to all these questions, please welcome Kath Brown. Now, uh, I've loosely labelled you an academic and a banking expert. Um, So why should people listen to you about this subject, Kath? Mm, Good question, Dan. Um, I don't, I'm not, we'll see, okay? We'll okay, see we'll why see. they should. But um, I know no one's going around saying this at the moment, but I did work in banking for five years. It's not appearing on any Tinder profiles at the moment, I can assure <laughs> right. you. Um, so I worked there for five years. Um, had no idea of the financial services like Vortex before there, so I had to kind of learn everything. Um, I spent a lot of time thinking about this, like thinking about what's, like, what's been going on here and why haven't we moved on from this? And I was so interested in it, perhaps... I don't, I don't have enough hobbies in my life. But last year I did a piece of research on broken trust in banks. Um, so yeah, I've, I've broken trust in the big four banks. I think I handed that in research in like two days before the Austrac scandal broke. So it was kind of oddly topical. And um, yeah, hopefully I can share some of that with you guys tonight. All right. Well, let, let's, have a, let's have a think about this. Like Talking to you before, you suggest that Australia, all the banks, are going through like the seven stages of grief right now with the Royal Commission. Like, yeah. What stage are we in now and where are we heading to? All right. So I think if we do a bit of a pulse check um, on the Australian public, I think we're in anger. Anger and bargaining. What do you reckon, guys? I would second that, yeah. Yeah? What are the seven stages? So I think start with shock and denial, you know? Uh, there was no shock, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> like, turns out the banks are cunts. <laughs> no! Not the banks! 
then we got pain and guilt. You can act that one I out mean, for no us I mean, no guilt well. for me, again, or pain. Oh, actually, no, that's not true. We're all suffering a little bit of pain, I suppose. A little bit, yeah. 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 I don't have any money, so it doesn't matter. Well, that's right. It's like, yeah, me either. We're all in crypto. Like, oh, really? <laughs> um, so, yeah, anger and bargaining. Then we kind of move. We get Things get a little bit more hopeful and we eventually arrive at acceptance. But we're not there yet, guys. So, coming back to anger and bargaining. Um, a lot of disappointment and frustration. Um, being directed towards the banks. Dolomite scandal. None of us are happy. Um, what else have we got? Opposition. Not happy with the government. A lot of finger pointing. A lot of blaming going on. Um, everyone's looking for someone to blame. Everyone's looking at ASIC. ASIC didn't do enough. ASIC was working too closely with industry. Bargaining. If we, if you know, if Labor were in government, we would have started the Royal Commission two years ago instead of when Malcolm Turnbull called for it. So, yeah, I think, I think that's where we're at. Is it fair to look at the banks um, in isolation of the larger economy? Is it fair to kind of point at them and say, oh, yeah, they're, they're definitely the bad guys? Mm. What would be the popular response here tonight? <laughs> what do you think, guys? Is it, fair, is it fair to say that the banks are bad? Yeah. <laughs> um, tough crowd to uh, follow up to that. Well, it, right, or is, that, or is, is our crowd tonight, do they have a misconception? Yeah, so I think... Um, I think that, look, we've all also got to think, it's definitely fair. Um, the banks have a lot to answer for. And, you know, the leadership team of every bank has a lot, a lot to reflect on. Um, for me, I kind of look at how they behaved, and then I look at how Steve Smith behaved. <laughs> and I think we're almost more disappointed by Steve Smith. <laughs> I mean, shock. Do you know he's, he's just going to start playing 2020 in Canada? He's really That's bounced not back. That's a joke. He's just started playing in the 2020 league in Canada. Canada has a 2020 league. Yeah, it would go because like it would. It's, it, that's like being on SBS. It's like you know. <laughs> it's like we know. Yeah, you kind of do TV, but just like way off brand. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, if you look at if you look at Steve, just coming back to him for a moment, it was it was really impressive how he kind of like that first press conference he did. Um, you know, he he just has no idea what he, he doesn't really know what he's saying, and then he comes back that second time, and we're all so moved. I was. I didn't even like cricket. I was like, I'm feeling you, Steve. Um, and then, you know, I don't know about you guys, but um, how do you feel about Steve now? Do you think that the banks doing their apology tour is kind of like the other dude apologising, where we were all like, fuck you, the Warner guy? <laughs> we love Steve when he apologised, but when Warner apologised, we were like, get fucked. <laughs> well, okay. So there's just something inherent about certain people that you don't trust. So let's, okay, there's good, yeah, I like, I like that analogy, Rosie. I think I was, look, I was doing a little bit of, you know, similarly doing a little bit of homework. I'm not going to yeah. do a lot of homework for tonight. But I was looking at the websites of the banks and I noticed that a lot of them, you know, hashtag trust it's totally trending on twitter instagram from so, them from the royal commission i think uh, from yeah. facebook from everywhere from barnaby joyce from like literally yeah. everywhere um and i think they've picked up on this so i noticed a lot of the websites have been updated the values statements vision have been updated the word trust was in there when they did the same exercise last year one of the big four had um had a statement about people are people are our greatest asset that phrase has been changed to trust is our greatest asset. Last year I saw a mission statement saying that fidget spinners were our greatest <laughs> asset. I mean, maybe that, maybe that was just last year's mission statement. And it's, how often do they mention money being their greatest asset? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good applause break, I think. But you can't change some words on a website and create trust, right? Mm. And that's the, that's the Warner thing, right? You can't go up to the Northern Territory, play cricket with some ladies. So, you know, uh, uh, the banks are huge. They're everywhere. And as Australians, um, many of us have superannuation. Many of us have our mm. own super invested in the banks. And the banks have received extraordinary amounts of growth over the last 10 years. Uh, are we right to be angry with the banks, but and at the same time get incredible growth in our superannuation at the same time? Yeah, yeah, good point, Dan. Um, I see where you're going with that. I'm looking for a job at the banks. Um. <laughs> Is it our fault? And are the banks perfect? <laughs> Danielek, Combank CEO. 
I think they might need Rosie for crisis communications. (laughs) If we slightly spin the words this way, did we really do anything wrong? (laughs) I don't want to get milkshake duck. (laughs) So, yeah, look, I think definitely, Dan, look, it's fair, I think it's fair for us to be angry, better out than in with that anger as well. Um, but we also need to, I think, after anger and bargaining comes reflection, and I think we've actually all got a little bit of reflecting to do. How do you mean? Like, how do, how do Australians contribute to the problem? All right, so where, who here has super? Well, everyone, yeah. except for the Americans down the front here. <laughs> right. They have 401ks. So chances are um, everyone in this audience... You're invested in the big four. The Australian market is too small. So even with divesting and more ethical investments in superannuation, all of us, ABC employees included, will be shocked to know that you are invested in the big four banks. So you're shareholders. So it's really easy, right, to go, oh, freaking banks, man. What, you know, WT. But we're part of the we're part. But we're part of it. And over the last, you know, probably say about 10 years, we've been really happy with the growth in our superannuation. You know, I look at it and I'm like, hmm, damn, yeah. <laughs> at least I do. But, you know, we've been happy. We've been happy to accept that. No one who here has put up their hand to say, mm, profits over people, not so happy about that. Anyone? When Wait, you've been you receiving saying, the dividends. Are you saying it's gone bad now? Like, if I look at my super, it's, it's the other way? It's probably not. It's, it. it's probably not. But it's more like we've been, there was an approach that was taken. People are saying that that's profits over people, but we've been the beneficiaries of that. All of us here. How many people here have a bank account, a credit card, use insurance? You know, we're, we're all consumers of banking and financial services. So when we, yep, we can be angry at the banks, but I think we also have to look at it and go, all right, what, you know, did we pay attention to what was going on? We're happy to receive the benefits of some of, you know, some of these approaches. Uh, to, yep, to, what choice yep. do we have? You can't keep your money in a shoebox under your bed, which someone informed me of a couple of years ago when I realised <laughs> that money was an abstract concept and there isn't a physical dollar for every dollar. Yeah. <laughs> but you can't keep it under your bed. So if you're not with a bank, who I've are you a, with? I've got a Bitcoin under my pillow. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, it's a good question, Rosie. Like, we're all wondering. We're like, what do we do? How do we go? How do we tell them... We're not happy with the approach that's been taken, but we're not happy with that approach. We'd like you to move in this kind of, dire- you know, in a new direction. So, like, uh, so moving on to that, as consumers, often we feel powerless. Like, yep. what do we do to tell the banks to say, stop stealing money off me when I'm dead? <laughs> yeah. I think, do you, know, do you know what would help me trust them if there was a bit of trust in the opposite direction? Like, if they stop. Just stop chaining that pen to that desk. Okay? <laughs> Just, how about you trust me? Yeah. That's so true. I'd really feel valued if they did. Summing up, Kath, what, what can we do as consumers to tell the banks to pick up their act and stop, stop uh, their scrupulous, unscrupulous activity? Yeah, so I think... Start with just knowing the issues that are going on. It's not like, as you, you know, I think you were saying earlier, it's finally, Dan, finally it's compelling content with, um, you know, some guy on there. Oh, yeah, because I saw one of the executives fainting at the commission under the pressure of being questioned, and that was the first time I realised there was a Royal Banking Commission. That is the, no, it's now known as the, uh, the Clive Palmer defence. <laughs> when things are going badly, you're just like, Make I'm it more dramatic and, and I'll get on board. <laughs> and finally, Kath, you are a, you are a banking expert. Can you ask me, can you tell me this, the answer to this question? What is a dolomite? Ooh. Ooh. I don't know. I, like, a I, new I, royal I commission. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for Irrational Fear tonight. Please thank DJ Diabolical, the folks here at Giant Dwarf, special guests Kath Brown, and our fear mongers, Lewis Hobber. Jazz Swemler and Rosie Waterland. My name is Dan Illick, and until next month, remember there's always something to be scared of. Good night! A rational fear. Your fear is rational. Hey, thank you very much. Uh, uh, thanks very much, everyone. That was really awesome. It's so cool to be back after a few years, not on the stage. Uh, big thanks to Fiona up the back, who is our tech for tonight. <laughs> 
Thanks to everyone who's supported Rational Fear over the years. I've seen many familiar faces who've come to live shows uh, throughout the years. So I really appreciate you greeting us as we come back to the stage. So thanks, everyone. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 